We are our third Sunday looking at Genesis 1, 26 through 31. It actually should have been through verse 31, and we'll, we'll look at that. If you uh, want to look at verse 31, which didn't get printed in the worship guides, I missed that one. You can uh, find it in the Bibles that are spread around throughout the chairs. Those Bibles are there for you to look at other contexts. If you need a Bible yourself, please take one of those with you. And this passage can be found on page one. So a pretty easy uh, place to find. Uh, we're on page one. I, if I were to ask you, so I'm just going to go deep quick and ask you to think about, if I were to, if I were to ask you this question, where in, in your life did you experience the most pain? And you, you might think about a time that you got injured. That might have popped into your head, sometime that you... Uh, physically were hurt, uh, but it's also quite likely, if you were to really think about it, that you would name relational pain, that you would name fragmentation of brokenness in a relationship that you have experienced. And it could be with a family member or a friend or uh, somebody, co-worker, could be somebody in the church, uh, church leaders, or all kinds of stories that we could tell. And, and just feeling the heaviness and the brokenness and the fragmentation of relationships can be overwhelming. And my hope is this morning, we don't ignore that, but we step into the hope that Scripture offers. The hope that the Word of God offers us, particularly in this picture of creation, and the way in which God created us for wholeness, for beauty, for relationship. We've talked about the last two weeks, this passage, and we started with our relationship to God, that we were created for relationship to God. And last week, Todd talked about the fact that we're created for relationship to all of creation. And that we are invited to think about that well. And here, we're invited to think about our relationship with one another. That's our focus for this morning, our relationship with one another. And we also recognize that we, we in this moment, have not gotten to the fall yet. So things aren't, aren't broken. They're not... That rebellion and sin and ugliness has not entered into the picture. And yet we know that we live fully in the midst of that so that we all thought of something painful, right? That, that this is our experience. And yet this still can give us hope. This still has application for us. And it's a part continually of the biblical story so that we find just a few chapters later, at the beginning of chapter 5, as Moses is, is talking about the history of God's people, he uses these same words here to describe the people of God, even post-fall, that in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This poetic verse 27 that speaks of the creation of human beings is used after the fall. So, and then even Jesus, when he's asked a moral question in Matthew chapter 19, he doesn't refer back to the law, which does come, and has beautiful picture for our relationship with God, but he actually refers back to creation in this verse and quotes verse 27, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we, we find that this is a, a theme that continues to run even after the fall, that can give us hope as we move toward redemption and ultimate wholeness. We're just a few weeks away from Easter when God will, will make all things right, resurrected bodies and all of that. But we find here this picture of creation that invites us to sit in the reality of the relationships that we have. And here we're going to see three points about those relationships. One is that there is a similarity 
in our relationships, and, and we, we were looking a, a little bit specifically, not the whole time, but at male and female, he created them. There's a similarity, first and foremost. There's a dissimilarity, and that all of it, it, uh, it occurs, it is experienced in point three, that we're embodied in these relationships, that our, that our relationships are embodied. That is, that they're physical. We experience life in this physical world, that it's not all just in our, our heads. So let me pray, and we'll jump in. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak your truth to us, uh, that you would shape us and change us. We thank you that this is your work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is a similarity here that we find in these relationships, and I think it's helpful to note, first and foremost, that relationships are very clearly foundational. Relationships with one another are clearly foundational to creation itself. So that as we see God creating man, mankind, human beings, and there might be times that you, you see man referred to, the, the word there is referring to all human beings, to, to mankind, uh, and that, that might bring some baggage with us, but it's helpful for us to understand that sometimes uh, that, that that word, that description is, is applying to, to all of us, male and female. But as, as God creates mankind, as he creates human beings, he creates us in relationship. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God himself is a relational God. There's this picture of let us make uh, man in our own image, right? What's going on there? There's a, a, a picture of a royal we, this language that was used to, to paint the bigness of who God was, who was clearly uh, communicated as the one, the creator. But we also see now living uh, as we do after Jesus has come and he has sent us his Holy Spirit. We are aware of the Trinity and that, that God has always existed as Trinity and that there are echoes and references uh, here to God himself being a relational God who, since he is making us in his image, he makes us relational. And he makes us, male and female, there is a, a very clear relationship that happens there. And so we are... Uh, acknowledging the reality of this relational God creating us in relationship. So that as we are in his image, the way that we bear his image is in relationship. In this relationship, male and female specifically. There's a parallelism here in verse 27. This You, you might notice if you, both in the way that it was printed in the worship guide, but also in any Bible that you find, that verse 27 is set apart as poetry. And uh, it, it speaks to, I think, a, a number of things, the importance, the beauty, the artistry in which God created us in his image. As Todd talked about multiple times last week, that what is left out in verse 31 is that it was very good. Tov meod, that human beings created are very good. The Hebrew being tov meod. Um, and as we're created in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We find a parallelism. He created him, he created them. How did he do it? In his image, is equated to male and female. There's a sense in which we all, male and female, image God. Every single one of us, there's not a distinction made in the ways that this happens. There's not a distinction made in the value or the worth of the way that this happens. It is the same, that we all image God. And we do it in our relationship with one another. But we, we need one another. We're, we're created with this relationship. But there's fundamentally first in, in this passage 
a, a picture of the similarity being more significant than the dissimilarity. That, that we are more alike than different, that we're more similar than d- dissimilar. And we, we sometimes focus on the ways in which we're not alike, and we do that not only in, uh, across male and female, we do it in all kinds of categories, right? And, and this is a significant problem that we are just living with in our culture. We feel like it's growing more and more fragmented, more and more polarized. But sometimes it just plays out in kind of normal ways as well. I, I think about, there are a number of neighbors that I have that I've never met. And we just haven't run into it, haven't had reason. Maybe we've run into each other at uh, Boba Conti. You can look out the window here and see Boba Conti, local coffee shop. And maybe we've run into each other there, but we don't have groups or friends or work in, in common. And so we just haven't connected. But imagine that I were in, uh, I, I were in Budapest, say, and I ran into somebody in a coffee shop there and they had a Boba Conti shirt on. We would have a conversation. We would talk about all the things that we had in common, right? About where we live and, oh, I'm just a few blocks from there. And like, we, we would have that, that conversation. And, and yet we tend to more often focus on the differences. It's, it's, it's sometimes taking us out of our setting to invite us into to thinking about the ways in which we are, are similar, which we are uh, more alike than different. And here we find that reality that we are all called to the same thing. So as we then get into what we call the creation mandate, which Todd spent more time on last week in verse 28, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of the animals, this call is equally on male and female, that we're all called to this together. There is no distinction who is invited to image God and fulfill the mission that he has given us as his people to be in relationship with him. Ultimately, to receive love and to give love and to uh, spread that uh, through this creation mandate, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it, and having dominion over it. We're all called into it together. And this is very clearly in the ancient Near East, when this was written, when the people of God were receiving this, this would have been mind-blowing. This would have been more of a shift to focus on the similarity of all human beings, all created in the image of God, that every single person, every single human being is seen as very good, created in the image of God. It's also striking to note that the first command that is given is deeply relational. Be fruitful and multiply. For that to occur, there's this relationship, the most intimate relationship, in fact. And we're all invited into, Todd, I think, did a good job of noting that uh, that this is a, a picture of what it is to, to follow God, even as it images God, who he is, what he's invited us into, and is analogous to our relationship with him now, we, we, we do play that out in different ways. So, and I'll talk about this more in, in a moment, but that we are not all commanded to get married, and we're not all commanded to have kids. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. But there is this picture, this fundamental picture of of being fruitful and multiplying that is relational that we're all invited into to experience on some level and learn from. It's also a picture of the fact that in the midst of that similarity, that as we've been seeing all through the creation story, that we are not autonomous. And we need to be, I need to be reminded of this again and again and again. I want to be in control. I want to make my own decisions. I want to be 
my own God? On some level, I, I would say, no, I don't. But on a, a, a lot of times and a lot of specifics, I absolutely do, right? I, I don't want to have to be dependent upon others. And we've talked about the fact that as created beings, limited in the way that we have been created, that there's, there's beauty and glory in that, and, and, and yet there's a deep dependence upon the maker. But we find here as well that we are also dependent upon one another. That it takes one another to image God. That male and female image God. And that for God to be fully imaged correctly and well is to recognize that we all have to image him. That I'm not going to be able to image him perfectly. And not just because of the fall, but even just in my limitedness as a Male, I need female to image God, that we need one another to image him and to step into what he's invited us to do, the mission that he has invited us into, so that together we're invited to discover the meaning of what it is to be created in his image and to live that out in our lives. And we are deeply dependent upon one another. We're made for relationships with what is clearly painted here is a relationship of equals, equal in value and worth and in the beauty of being created in the image of God. We start, and I think this passage focuses on the similarity we have, and yet there is a recognition of the dissimilarity, of the fact that we are created male and female, that there is this foundational nature to who we are as male and female. And, and I even struggle with, do I talk about a foundational nature to our biological sex or to our gender? Because we live in a time where th- those conversations and language uh, gets us caught up in knots and I'll say something that will be misunderstood and uh, be thinking about it differently. Or I will also, because I'm a flawed human being, say something that is wrong, that also happens, right? Even as I preach uh, here, that is, possible, and I am thankful that the Holy Spirit works and pray that he allows us to uh, forget the things that I say that are wrong and even bring to mind things that I don't say that I should, right? So uh, that's part of our dependence upon uh, our our God. But I I, I want to be careful or maybe just acknowledge that there might be ways in which language is used that there could be confusion, and I invite follow-up conversation. I also want to recognize that on this topic, there will be a lot of questions, and I'll answer them all in the next, you know, 10 minutes. You know, they can't be answered for one, like even the purpose of what a sermon is, the, uh, the time that we have, uh, the complicated nature, the fact that I don't have a lot of the answers, all of those things, right? So uh, there is continually, as we always talk about, an invitation to, to ask questions, to engage on these things, uh, have uh, resources and would love to talk and all of those kind of things, right? But jump back in. We are recognizing that there's this foundational nature, this picture of creation in verse uh, 27 that, that says that who we are as male and female is foundational to who we are. And there is a, a difference there. And that it is also, at the same time, it's fundamental to f- fulfilling the creation mandate, that call that, to which we have been invited. To be fruitful and multiply requires a man and a woman. That's not possible without that, right? So there is this, this invitation to recognize that there's something really significant about who we are. And that we, we, we live out life as a result with those who are dissimilar from us. 
And, and it's not just this category of male and female. We, we find throughout Scripture that there is an invitation to image God and fulfill the, the mission that he has given us with people who are different than us and that the differences actually help us image him better, more fully. This is true of just being gifted differently. So we find in 1 Corinthians 12, the recognition that we're, we are different parts of the body of Christ, that the body needs the head and the arms and the feet and the eyes and the mouth and all of it is required and that we are essentially different parts. We need one another. We, we see it as well with the, the value of the different tribes and tongues and people and nations that will all be worshiping God together uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, and that we're invited to, as we can, embody that even now. We hear stories, we heard just in the last month and a half from Rachel and Josh as they worshiped with the Kenyan church and the way that they saw the beauty of who God was in those differences. And we, 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 we need that. But here we find, fundamentally, we, we need that with male and female. And so even in a church where we, we believe that the Bible teaches that, that the role of elder is reserved for male, we recognize that we need one another, and we have a women's advisory council that, that comes alongside us and uh, gives us perspective, not just on situations where women are involved, but in everything that we're doing, from uh, budget to Sunday school to, to basically everything that we're doing, right? We, we recognize that we, we need that. This this function of who we are and our dissimilarity actually allows us to recognize that dependence that we have on our creator and to rejoice in the way in which he's created us. Anthony Hokema wrote a book called Created in the Image of God. This was one that I read in seminary almost 20, well, I was in seminary 20 years ago. Yeah, that, that's a long time ago. So it uh, makes me feel old. But it was a great book then. It's a great book now. Uh, and this is one of the things that he says. He says, male and female, he created them. It has more to do with, has, has more than sexual differentiation in mind since the animals are also created in that way. What is being said in this verse is that the human person is not an isolated being who is complete in himself or herself, but that he or she is a being who needs the fellowship of others, who is not complete apart from others meaning we need people who are different than we are. We're dependent upon one another. And there certainly is, as I noted before, marriage in view here. We'll find that, uh, and we'll spend more time as we get into chapter two, and we see even a more uh, deep down picture of the creation of uh, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, uh, and marriage is very clearly uh, in view there. It's, it's in view here with the be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and I think it's helpful to note that this is a foundational human relationship. And, and yet again, that doesn't mean that the command is that everybody get married. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's better to be single, to remain single. We, we know that the one who is the ultimate image bearer, the only perfect image bearer of God Jesus Christ himself, single. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, single. Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, 22 that in the new heavens and new earth, when everything is made perfect, there is no marriage then. So just as a, as a reminder, this is not saying that everybody 
uh, is supposed to get married, or even that the, the way to have a flourishing life is only in marriage. That is not the argument being made here, even as it is this foundational relationship that, that we see throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, is a picture of our relationship to the Creator. Our, a picture of our, the people of God's relationship with Yahweh, the one who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. There's a picture of that. It, it illuminates that relationship for us. And it's helpful to note as well, as, as Todd noted last week, that uh, not all of us uh, are commanded to have, have children. And that brings up questions of all, all kinds of things that we could deal with, infertility and desire and uh, marriage status and all of that that can be recognized as, as painful. It speaks to some of the fragmentation that we exist in this that we exist in the midst of, that our relationships are broken, our bodies are broken, all of it uh, does not work as we want it to, and so we're invited to look and trust in a God who does bring healing and hope as things are not the way they're supposed to be. I think it's also helpful for us to note the the Bible does not give this long list of here's what it is to be dissimilar, here's what it is to be male and female. There are places where there's distinction. This is not one of those passages. Um, But we also want to recognize that the church has often, in history, uh, just bought into the cultural stereotypes and assigned these particular, either cultural stereotypes or even our own experience that we might have had, the things that we might speak to experientially about the way that we've experienced male and female people, that uh, we would then begin to, to say, this is what it looks like. And this is what you have to do to be a male or, or, or female. And we need to be really careful not to do that. I mean, we could go just to the basic, you know, the whole, and this is the, the one that is used the most often, but if you like blue, you're a boy, and you like pink, you're a girl, right? Like, uh, we, we, we live in a time that would recognize uh, you can like either one or neither, uh, boy or girl, right? Um, but there are all kinds of things more significant that, that we just kind of adopt, we begin to think, well, this is uh, how we're going to define things. And, uh, and those roles can lead to, some of, some of the ways that people talk about those things can lead to mistreatment and abuse, and they have. So we need to be careful and thoughtful uh, about these things. Uh, doesn't mean we don't talk about them. I, I, I just want to go ahead and recommend uh, two resources to you that have been helpful for me. One is um, Sam Alberry, who wrote uh, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. Uh, Sam Alberry. Um, and then this one is The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory, Abigail Faval. I'm not sure if I said that right, but um, uh, they've been helpful books for me. Um, Sam Alberry has written a number of books, a number of resources that I've read. This is the first thing I've seen by Abigail Faval. She's a, uh, a Catholic professor at George Fox University. Certainly has some perspectives uh, that I wouldn't agree with, but overall a really uh, helpful book. And we, we, we need help in thinking through some of these things well, recognizing that the church has not always handled them well. Lastly, recognizing that uh, we're invited to celebrate the similarity we have, that all of us are created in the image of God, even as there are dissimilarities, even as there uh, is a recognition that God has created us male and female, 
we recognize here this picture of the way this is happening is something that we embody. That is something that we experience in our physicality. That we are not Gnostics. And, and Gnosticism has, has seeped into the church and into our culture in all kinds of different ways, which is to separate the physical and the spiritual. It's not a biblical concept. We are embodied human beings. This whole story of creation, all of chapter one, is, is God creating matter and physicality out of nothing. And then forming it and filling it. We, we talked about that as we looked through the days. He is creating the land and the sea and the sky and the animals and the plants. And then he is planting physical beings as we get to chapter two. Adam and Eve drawn from the dust and from the rib, the physicality of who we are. We are embodied beings. We experience this world as physical beings. And, and, and we are more than our bodies. But we're not less than. And we, we think about this reality of our minds and uh, our minds making decisions and choices. And biblically, we might describe that as our hearts. But without our hearts, organs, or our brain, those things don't e exist. We are physical beings. Uh, Sam Albury, where did I put this quote? Uh, um, says, says this in the book that I mentioned a second ago. He says, when he announced his intention to make human beings and to make them male and female, he was certainly not talking about a concept of maleness and femaleness, somehow unrelated to our physical bodies. This is this picture that again and again, just throughout that, that the scripture values the physicality of who we are. I noted a couple weeks ago that I don't remember who it was last week, but if Ben, this was likely just been uh, to come up here and punch me in the face, it would hurt me because it hurt my body, right? I wouldn't just separate and say, oh well, right? It would, it would be pain to me. And, and we, we know this through trauma, through physical trauma, that it is hurting a person. There's a deep connection in our physicality and our emotions and our spirituality and uh, all of who we are is connected. And we do well to keep that in mind. Favell says uh, in her book that the, the body reveals the person. And, and there's this reality in, in chapter two when Adam is, I'm jumping ahead a few weeks here, but when, when Adam is put to sleep and God forms uh, Eve out of his rib and he awakes and he sees her, there's, there's no conversation, everything, but he recognizes her at that point for who she is as, as first and foremost like him. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees the similarity, but he recognizes her. Her, her, her body reveals who she is. We, we see as well that uh, there's this, like how we treat one another and their bodies throughout Old Testament and New Testament matters. We see that there is the hope of redemption for our bodies. We actually long for it, Romans 8, 23. We long for the redemption of our bodies. And then we know, praise God, at the resurrection, which we're about to celebrate in a few weeks. Easter is just around the corner. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and we remember that his resurrection, his bodily resurrection, was the promise of our own bodily resurrection, that each and every one of us, no matter what happens to our bodies here, will be resurrected. The body matters. And we live life in recognition that the body matters. So we, we, we know some of the ways in which we're 
we're being invited out of that onto the internet, into this virtual world, maybe even into the metaverse and we're creating virtual worlds and all this and, and we see the impact that that has had on mental health in just the last 10 years. And it should be concerned about what the, prom what the future promises in that regard. We're made for, and we experienced this in COVID too, we're made for relationship with one another, to see one another, to touch one another. Hugs and handshakes, and pats on the back, those things matter. We're, we're, we're made to be physical beings. One of my seminary professors, Zach Eswine, this is actually referred to in the um, Albury book, he, he laments that for uh, elderly who end up in nursing homes, that the thing that they lack the most is, is physical touch. The reality, I mean, just besides the poking and the prodding that for the medical needs, that they don't get the hugs and the handshakes and the physical presence of people often, and that that's the loss. And, and, and we intuitively know that reality, that uh, real relationship happens in front of one another. We're made for physical relationship with one another. All of our relationships are, are made for that. And in the midst of all of this, we recognize the fragmentation and the brokenness in our embodiment, in our bodies, and the ways in which our bodies relate to one another. We experience that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And, uh, and we think about the things of our bodies that we're ashamed of or wish were different. Every single one of us is finding things that we wish were different, right? We feel that fragmentation. And the, the picture here, again and again, we go back to what Todd talked about, is that it is tov meod. It is very good. We are all image bearers of Christ. We all have levels of brokenness in our embodiment, in our relationships. And yet what we're invited to here is this picture of the artistry of God creating us in his image. And that we have value and worth because of that. And that he cares about who we are. That's the hope that he is offering us. And, and in the midst of this, in the midst of him valuing the bodies that, that image the creator, that image him, that he made billions of to image him. And he even made one for himself. So Jesus becomes a body. And his body is the one that is whole. The only one that, and there is a mystery there to the way that he is the perfect image of God. John 14, 9 and, and Hebrews 3 uh, there's certainly mystery in the way that that works, but that's the picture that we find, that he is the perfect image bearer and the only one, the only one who is fully whole. And yet he entered in this, into this world in order that his body might be fragmented, broken, torn apart, destroyed. We're going to tear the bread apart. This is a picture of what Jesus experienced. And... This is the thing that he does to, to recognize both the value of the body, but then in that, to accomplish for us the promise of resurrection, because his body, not only was it broken, it was raised. And ours will be raised as we trust in him, as we recognize our dependence, not only on one another, but ultimately on him. And that he offers healing because of what he did on the cross, because his body was broken for you and for me. I think 
we celebrate that. And just one last note, I think it's helpful to note as we enter into difficult conversations or experiences about uh, what, what it is to live this out as embodied human beings and to have disagreements with others. Folks that we would disagree with on like really significant issues or walking through uh, life with folks who are struggling with their own understanding of God or sex or gender or uh, work or life or relationships or creation, whatever it might be, that we would remember again and again and again that if we're dealing with another human being, we're dealing with an image of God. And that should give us a deep love. Yes, it doesn't mean that we don't hold to particular truths that are revealed to us in scripture, but that we engage with others as fellow image bearers of Christ and that we rejoice in the fact that we're invited into relationship with one another. And all ultimately because all that is redeemed and made right because of what Christ has done. And so we celebrate and rejoice in the work that he has done to draw us into relationship with him and with one another. Let me pray.